0: The Animation Podcast, October 31st, 2005. Hey everybody, this is Clay. Welcome to show number nine of The Animation Podcast. This is part three of my interview with Ron Clements and John Musker, otherwise known as Ron and John. Just so you know, this isn't the final part of the interview. There will be more, so stay tuned for that later. But for now, we'll just get back to the conversation you guys have written four films together right yeah we we wrote
1: um mermaid was the first and then aladdin and then uh hercules Hercules and and treasure Treasure. but has
0: your process stayed the same pretty much or changed over the years or how do you guys approach writing stay pretty
2: much the same yeah i mean the way we write a script generally we we try and work together on the treatment or the outline of it, and you know bandy ideas back and forth in terms of characters and We kind of agree, and we do notes on just what appeals to us about the subject matter, and we've read the source material if it's adapted on something, and we kind of independently do that. Then we come together and bounce ideas off each other and say, "Yeah, I like that. I don't like that, or that's an interesting avenue to go down." And then we we've kind of done the groundwork there, and then we actually start writing a script. And uh, usually, the way we do it is I kind of go first and write uh, just sort of ad-lib on paper, kind of improvise, and write the same scene four or five different ways mm-hmm. and, and all sorts of things. And, and I feed pages to Ron, and he takes them and edits them and rewrites them and may use part of it and may inject his own thing. And I don't see the script until he, he's, you know, he, as I, I'm i feeding him things as I go along, but he, he kind of fashions it but doesn't show me what he's doing until he's done. So, so I see a completed script from him and then based on what I've written and what he's hmm. rewritten and then I'm like, hey, why'd you use this and not that? Or I, why, why did you use this part? And he's like, well, that was you, you wrote that. And I'm like, I did. <laughs> and I
1: by that yeah, time John I can't usually, even remember. he doesn't time, remember kind of. So he kind of reads it fresh. Like yeah. it's, it's almost like it's almost a,
0: like you're writing two different script. scripts, but it's the same script. Really, yeah, it is yeah. the
1: same script.
2: And and but I have a some distance from it because I've been just trying different things and we have an outline so we have a roadmap. it isn't like i'm going completely off in a different way but there are different solutions to the different scenes and mm-hmm. that sort of thing so then he makes choices and and adds things and and as i recall like in mermaid it seems to me if i'm remembering right like the the way the whole intercutting thing in the middle where the crab is you know on the dinner table and the chef is in the kitchen and it seemed to me that was all ron's interweaving of that thing so i didn't I can't remember what I wrote but I don't think it was that and or I may have written a little piece of it but so it was really kind of fun to read that because I'm like that was just the way it worked back and forth from the kitchen scene to the dinner table mm-hmm. and it was just I thought, yeah that seems like a movie and that, that's cool but then there were other sections where it was actually things that I had written and uh, um, but then so I, I make notes after I read his thing I'm like well here's I think this is a little clunky or whatever and we go back and forth then, and then turn into a script that we turn maybe we bounce off some Friends of ours and people whose opinions we uh, respect to get some objectivity, and then we turn it into the executive types who have to read it. And in the case of Mermaid, you know, it seemed to be well received even at that point, and we didn't have songs, as I recall, because Howard was too busy to include I mean, we, songs. We described the songs. We because described we them, knew, but we didn't have we the lyrics of the would be because
1: yeah. uh, Howard st- songs had already been spotted, so we just kind of have a description of the song and mm-hmm. a rough idea of of what what would happen but then like um, in the
2: case of Mermaid, Howard was able to take our script and like when he did the witches song he took some of the scenes we did in dialogue and threaded them through the music oh, really? you know so even the name i think well might mind was that a name that he gave or did you come up with that that might
1: have been in the script i think yeah, i think the, yeah. the poor unfortunate yeah, souls yeah. yeah and
2: yeah. Uh, and then so he Work material we see, had we, in the scenes we, into the kind of into we, we the lead-ins little and the intros interstitial to the stuff, yeah.
1: howard actually liked our intros to the songs, which 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 I was sort of pleased with. You mean with like the dialogue leading into yeah, it? The, yeah, the dialogue leading lead into yeah. it. He said, like, that's hard, that stuff is hard to write, and a lot of people don't do that. But hmm. he thought we did good intros, so yeah, that was cool. That was a nice compliment. that was a hard transition, yeah. And reason. Howard
2: came out and worked then because he lived in New York at the time, but then he came out and spent like three weeks out of every four here in the building working on the other songs, and we'd show him storyboards, and he'd have ideas on that, and show him character designs, and the whole thing, so he was, he was really actively involved in
1: the, the development of That was of certainly, uh, the, the whole process on Mermaid, I mean, there were certainly low points, and there were things where you know everything looked like it might fall apart but for the most part that was that was a very exciting kind of period And i, pe- I think people genuinely were excited about the movie mm-hmm. um i Love think where, whereas you know cauldron we kind of felt like it didn't it had potential that it could have been this thing and it didn't turn out i think there was this sense just with, because of the elements of the story because we were kind of doing going back and doing a classic a classic fairy tale but with a with a whole new group of people and 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 the, and, the mu- and everything just felt like it was kind of coming together. So there was a lot of excitement about the movie and a lot of hope for the movie. I think. and enthusiasm like like the, like
2: the, the Incredibles movie. had a similar thing. I think yeah. people were working yeah. on that. I mean, we were just I was in high
1: school when Mermaid came out, and mm-hmm.
0: you know, I was a high school kid with I Yeah. and I wasn't an animation geek yeah, or fan the, or yeah, anything at that so time. But it was around. a you great movie. No, I okay. <laughs> no, that was later. Yeah, okay. But uh, yeah, yeah. Was, well,
2: it was fun when when we were done. Even in you know, and they were started previewing it, and then it played well because we were. I was in a conversation with Jeffrey Katzenberg before the movie came out where he was on the phone with Michael Eisner saying, yeah, it's getting there. We need some punching up. We're getting there. And he sat down and told myself and Maureen Donnelly, who was really the, the line producer, she's called the associate producer, but she was really getting the movie done. Um, you know, hey, this movie isn't going to do as well as Oliver. And, you know, and that's okay because it's a girl's movie and uh, mm-hmm. girls' movies don't do as well as guys. Why? I don't know. But Cinderella had come out the year before and had done a certain amount of money. He's like, that's just the way it is, so that's okay. You know, we don't expect
1: more. Yeah, their their than expectations that. were not super high for the movie, until our first preview, which was which was good because the the first preview kind of took everybody by surprise, because mm-hmm. um, I think it really helped played well and and the numbers. They always look at the numbers. The numbers were really really high. I think they were like some of the best they had ever gotten. So suddenly this movie that was maybe slightly under the radar it was kind of like now they were really sort of focusing on it and then Jeffrey I think had the idea because noticed that the the adult reaction was extraordinarily high Um, so we actually had another preview where we we that they had never done before where the film was previewed with with just an entire adult audience Um, no families no kids just just um, like young adults and and it played I would say even better at that preview, so um, so I think then Jeffrey felt there's there's potential in this movie beyond what what he had thought, and we need to try to market this for adults as well as 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 well as kids, and and bring in a wider audience, and that this could actually expand the the audience for a Disney film, and and it did, it 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 it, it sort of opened up um, possibilities. we just
2: had the discussion the other day with a, a person who's in the corporate end of Disney nowadays. And he said he was at an early screening of Mermaid down in Florida before it was really released, and that one of the other financial types who worked at Disney at that time, who doesn't now, uh, you know, had leaned over to him, you know, after the movie's done, and said, Right off." And so, <laughs> so I, I hadn't heard that before, but I believe it. I mean, I think there were people who just thought, "What is this animation thing?" You know, some of these financial types, are even just
1: well, the the big thing it. then, I think, even when when. Um... When Michael and Jeffrey first came to Disney, I think they they were, they were not really. I wouldn't say they were animation fans. I think as even as kids or whatever, I think they they kind of looked at this like, what is this thing, Disney animation? What is this? But I think it, they they sort of warmed to it and they they were, became very supportive of it. But I know there were other people, not not them so much, who um, who really felt had a very bottom line mentality and felt that that what they needed to do was. There was basically a contingent of people who felt that what the studio should do is farm out the animation and have it all done overseas, have it done much cheaper. And and felt that then even if like you, if you could make say an animated film at that time for like 2 million or 3 million. And then even if you made like say, um, 20 million, you, you'd be very successful. Mm-hmm. So I, so I think there was definitely people who that felt that was the way to that go. It's funny how
2: thinking has come all the way around again now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, things, the more things change, um, but um but that was the idea and 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 I think then people who like us who who loved animation and loved the disney films and and, and felt that that uh, wanted to go the other way to try to make them better and feeling like that if you could if you could really make them really really good you could actually you know compete with live <laughs> action and have bigger audiences and, and make even more money even if that's yeah. possible right. and and um and it actually ended up sort of going that way but uh, but um i but, think but it could think have gone the other way from, too. from
2: our point of view, right maybe i shouldn't speak for you but it seemed to me when we were making mermaid it was i think we felt like we were making a fairy tale we had a tradition to live up to of you know these great films but i don't think we thought of it as like this is uh commercial thing or just you no, know we, that we wasn't, wasn't at all we were but very I think very we you know just well, try we and make a good movie at least what, what i'm really aware
1: of thinking movie. is is um you know seeing star wars and seeing uh some of the spielberg films and, and 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 just feeling um and at that time i think we weren't married i think we didn't have family so i know for me it was always frustrating that that the films no, I, I was married well you you were married at that point I maybe I got but, married in 79 yeah, i have been yeah. married for a long yeah, he's time he's been and married a lot long. longer than I have but basically it was frustrating in in the sense that I felt like when I talked to people that I knew no one had ever seen the movies I mean mm-hmm. um, they were family films they were kids films why would why would young single people have seen the movies but it just felt like sort of frustrating and I, I felt like and I, I at that time we had a tradition almost like that those of us who weren't married we Big group of us would go to Westwood um, like every Friday and see the lonely guys. The lonely guys, and we go see <laughs> we go see the stand in line for four hours and see the new the new big film coming out. And I, I think um, I think there was just this sense of of wanting. I don't think it was a box office thing, but wanted the films to be seen by a wider audience yeah. and feeling that feeling that they had potential to be seen by a wider audience because I think um, I never really thought of the Disney films as being kids films because certainly most people think of them i mean i'm talking about the early films like pinocchio bambi 101 dalmatians whatever that that you can watch those films as an adult and they're they're totally entertaining they don't really play down they're not something that are just for kids and i think that's how we always looked at what we were doing that we weren't making films that were just for kids and and um, and yet i felt like that the audience wasn't recognizing that the at least the american audience the the interesting thing was that the films um, also played around the world and they played in Europe and Asia and at least in some of those places like France and, and even England and some that those films actually did play to adult audiences and there was an adult audience for animation and it, I think we just felt frustrating that, that um, animation at that time seemed so limited in terms of the audience.
0: And did you have any idea that it would be successful? I mean, you knew it was probably a good Well, movie the, pre- and...
1: the previews had gone well so we hoped it might
2: and then I remember sitting in a, in a room with Peter Schneider in his office and he said, because I think Spielberg had seen it. I believe Spielberg had seen it somewhere. And he said, Spielberg says this is going to make a hundred million dollars. He said to us, you know, before the movie came out. I was like, really? Spielberg said that. And I was like, well, that sounds cool. Nice compliment. So of course, I was always disappointed because it technically, domestically, it didn't make a yeah, million. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was close, <laughs> what is, but what didn't is quite he I mean, the weird
1: thing about *Mermaid*. I mean, it did very, very well, and it was at that time. The highest-grossing animated film that had been made up to that point, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I know Mermaid when it opened, like when, or at least when it played over Thanksgiving weekend, it did like eight million, which was really good. Once again, but at that same weekend, Back to the Future Two did uh, forty-five million that that same weekend. Wow. Um, so it wasn't like a a, um, a phenomenon then, but it was very successful, and certainly for animation, it was very successful, and we were very happy, totally happy with the way Mermaid did. But it wasn't really until Mermaid then they made a decision, which I think we, we actually questioned at the time. Um, they made a decision to put it on video um, the following like May or yeah, something like that. Years. And they had never done that before with with a recent film. Um, and Roy
2: Disney didn't want them to do it, and we didn't really want them to do it. But they said, <laughs> we're doing it anyway. I think Bill Mechanic, who was in charge of home video, really felt like they could make a killing with it.
1: And they did. And on video, it, it was like um, better than any video that I think that had ever come out at that point. Right. And, and that triggered even more. And merchandising, in which they're very interested in, started to take off. So so ultimately, I think the film became like hugely, hugely profitable beyond what you would think even with the $85 million take, which, which um, transformed things, I think, very significantly at the studio. In many ways, in very good ways, but there were some things, I think, ultimately out of that that were not so good. In the sense that, um, I guess, anything that is successful, there's good and bad that can come out of that. Mm -hmm. And certainly, maybe what's not so good is the the desire to try to repeat that success. You you guys are
0: answering all my questions. I don't have to (laughs) say anything. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, how do you leave one movie and think of the next project knowing how successful you just were? Right,
1: right. I mean. For for us, I think we we wanted to do something very different after Mermaid. Yeah, they we, had were, we were offered about Beauty and, Be- the, Beauty and, and the, the Beast. The time um, they had talked to us um, uh, shortly after Mermaid, or just as Mermaid was coming out, about actually directing Beauty and the Beast, which was still like in in story stages. And we we um,
2: and I was actually open to the idea, but Ron and I remember and I seemed to me, we were at Muson huh? and Frank's or somewhere, weren't we, with Peter Schneider having lunch, and I was just like. I need a break. I can't possibly go into something like this because I was, I was like, well, well, I was like, well, maybe. But he was like, no, and so I'm like, okay, forget it. You know, so mm-hmm. I mean, I hadn't really. I mean, I would rather not have done. I guess, just except it was you know it was Howard Ashman again and there were things about that were appealing but jumping right into it again he was like I got to recharge the battery so,
1: so so I was we, like okay we'll recharge we, the we could have done Beauty and the Beast That's basically what he's saying if yeah. not for my stupidity yeah. huh. um no. but um but we were also then um after a bit of recharging um we had actually pitched um, doing We're Back, the, the dinosaur hmm. thing. We, we both sort of liked those books and thought that would make a fun animated film. But then we found out Spielberg was already doing We're Back. So, so the studio at this time then pitched three ideas to us to do as our next movie after Mermaid. And uh, one of those was a project called King of the Jungle. Which we also turned that down because uh,
2: mutated into Lion King right, actually, yeah. but we didn't see uh, any future in that movie. That's it, obviously a no future. <laughs> <brain laughs> <to, laughs> ne- ne- Needed a lot of work, so, so we, we proceeded to together.
1: turn. So at that and then another one was was Swan Lake, which which once again a little bit like Beauty and the Beast. I think we felt. That's just too much like Mermaid. Yeah. We sort of did that. We wanted to do something a little different. And then the third idea they they pitched to us was Aladdin, which Howard Ashman had already developed um, earlier while while he was working on Mermaid, had developed a treatment on that and some songs on that, and we really liked the idea of Aladdin. Um, so even though, so it's a mixed thing. It, we. You know, we turned down Beauty and the Beast and Lion King, but if we hadn't turned those down, we wouldn't have gotten to do Aladdin, yeah. and we liked doing Aladdin. Yeah, so, and so actually,
0: Aladdin, when I saw it, you know, like I said, I wasn't a huge animation guy, but when I saw it, I was like, wow, Disney, it's a different Disney movie in different, a totally different style. And yeah. I actually thought that animation would be a cool career
1: when I saw that well, movie. Okay, so, well, I'm glad so, to hear that. So, thanks, yeah. guys. I mean, <laughs> that was, well, that, we was of, yeah. <laughs> that was a little bit the idea behind it. Um, was to do something a little different. Although I would say that didn't necessarily stem from a commercial instinct so much as, as, I'd say, the primary thing, and both of us kind of had a similar thing early on as we were doing stuff, is somehow with Mermaid, we never had to find sort of, I would say, an animation hook in terms of that movie. We felt that's a natural for animation. The fish are going to talk. That would look stupid in live action. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, you could do Mermaid in live action, but not not at all the way we were thinking. But Aladdin, we felt, just sort of reading it and looking at it, that that, would actually, that actually was very legitimate for live action. And hmm. so we, we were trying to figure out a way, just a way to do Aladdin that we felt like that couldn't be done in live action, that there would just be no way you could do it in live action. And, um, and early on, I think we, we liked the idea. We were both fans of Robin Williams, and we had talked about him actually a little bit on Mermaid doing, um, doing a voice on that. And, and and we and Robin Williams had done this thing for, for the parks called Back to Neverland. Mm-hmm. So we, we, um, we sort of, when we wrote the script on Mermaid, we wrote it with, with the idea of Robin Williams doing the genie and wrote it in kind of his style. and uh, And that was primarily to make Aladdin really well suited for the animation medium, along with kind of exploiting the flying carpet and the monkey and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But and that almost dictated that it be more of a comedy than than sort of anything the studio had done. Making fun of him, like you know Pinocchio's in there. Or yeah, that was it. an
2: ad lib that Robin had done, and and Eric, uh, the yeah, way we, Gold, we recorded or, a lot Eric of stuff. But Eric Goldberg, then it was the editor, He'd listen to all the takes as would we, and we'd pick our favorites, and they'd kind of reconstruct the scene a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that was one where you, you know, and, all yeah. that. and Eric and I didn't even remember it when I listened to the transcript. and and I remember Eric, you know, that part where he does the Pinocchio, I'm like, what part is that again? And he's like, don't you remember? Well, he just went, whoop, you know, like the nose growing long. Everybody on radio, Do you get that? Whoop, but I'm sort of lengthening <laughs> my nose I'm sitting here. Um, and then I went, oh, yeah, yeah. So we, we would kind of, you know, inject things that, even though we had written it for Robin, certainly we encouraged him to improvise and ad lib. And then the things he did that cracked us up or cracked Eric up or Eric would see visual possibilities. And, and
1: even though we wrote the the script with Robin in mind, Eric took it a step further, I think, than than we were even thinking. Like, we we thought of the genie as a shape-changer and that he would be transforming and doing visual things, but Eric was really the one who, in terms of, like, actually, when he's doing celebrities and things like that, to actually have him turn into the celebrities, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I I think... Uh,
2: we He he pulled us into that, because originally we were like, there have to be certain rules, and, and we don't want to sort of date the film or whatever, so when he... Does something, you know, an Arnold Schwarzenegger voice? You can make him look like a strong man, but don't make him look like Arnold. (laughs) And Eric was like, "Come on! I mean, if he does Jack Nicholson, he's got to look like Jack Nicholson." And let me just show you, again And so he pulled, it and then once we saw, like, yeah, of course, that's Hmm. you got to do that. Sort of. Well, the way the
1: way we got Robin for for Aladdin because we wrote the script with with Robin in mind, but that we had never talked to him and met or met with him, and really had no idea you know, if he would be interested hmm. in doing it or if they could convince him Did to do it. you have a backup. Well, what well, we we happened was... At one we... point,
2: the contract, contract sort of semi-fell apart and Jeffrey came to us, who's your number two choice? We had no number two choice. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we are like, oh, let's hope they but, get wrong. Um,
1: but, but Eric was the first animator on that movie because he came from outside the studio. Right. He, he had his own studio in London. And we were familiar with Eric's work and John was good friends with Eric. He knew him from before. So um, he seemed like he would just he was a great animator it seemed like this would be something that would really be up his alley so when eric was at the studio then one of the first things we did that he did really was we took an old comedy album of robin's where he did a comedy routine and then eric did a couple of tests where he he did animation to to robin's comedy mm-hmm. routine and then uh and then we brought robin in and and showed him storyboards and showed showed him that test and and he seemed to get it right away
2: yeah and, in both the case of mermaid and aladdin because production was heavily going on at that time, Peter Schneider was like, "Well, you guys, you know, if you want to develop some animation, great, but you got to go outside the studio. We need these people on the movies that are working mm. right now." So, yeah, yeah. so everybody case, else was working on Beauty in the movie. Yeah, weeks, so in yeah. the case of Mermaid, that meant we we got Duncan Marchbanks because Brad had sort of recommended him, having worked with him on uh, Family Dog and knowing him from days before that when he worked at H and B or something. He just said Duncan's this really good animator. So based on Brad's recommendation, we talked to Duncan and brought him in to do the crab on mermaid and dan Haskett, whom i n- had known from his earlier days at the studio was doing early development on mermaid on Ariel again mm-hmm. partly because you know the we couldn't use the um, Glenn keens and those people because they were busy and and then as it happened again on land they're like okay you can develop something on this but you got to find somebody outside the studio and charlie fink who was uh, a development executive at the time was kind of courting eric to do something at the studio and he told us hey eric's available like you could get Eric Goldberg, and we just thought that would be a a coup to get him because we I'd really liked his animation I'd seen on other British commercials and things that he had done yeah, and other things it's a perfect so, fit yeah it was a, a perfect, but it was very kismet like in that you know just as we needed somebody and he was trying to he was interested in coming here and they were trying to get him, and it all fell together and yeah. fairly. Serendipitous way,
0: and everyone that rolled off of uh, Beauty and the Beast, right? They yeah. came to Aladdin. That was the last movie that had all the top everybody. Animators. Yeah, it was before it they is. developed then the overlapping pictures. I mean, star. it sort of had
1: to be because um, people. I mean, it wasn't so bad for us because you know we yeah. skipped the film, <laughs> but for the people who didn't skip movies, I mean, people went from Mermaid to Rescuers Down Under to Beauty and the Beast to Aladdin without a break. I mean, and and. Because it was That's pretty much the same staff yeah. doing those movies one after I mean, Lion another. Lion King
2: was a year and a half after Aladdin because they had story issues and they sort of backed, you know, they, they couldn't keep up that year. And really, year and okay, really so.
1: Lion King and Pocahontas was the first dual thing where it split into two, where the staff kind of split into two. And and some of the people went on to Lion King, some of the people went on to Pocahontas. Right, um, Was but that before a that it a hard thing to deal with or...? Um, yeah but it but certainly with the the aladdin thing i think it was um it was grueling for people i mean and we were just hearing these stories about people and they're having carpal tunnel and and um just burnout and and, and various things so so um because we, we were for from the period from i'd say from Al, at least from oliver and company through aladdin it was one a year and it wasn't um you know that the whole film was made in a year because the development and the story were done by different units but mm-hmm. But basically, the animation staff was making one of those things a year, yeah. and, uh, which, which had always been talked about, never been achieved before, um, and, and was achieved for, for a period there, but almost killed some people at yeah. the same time.
0: That concludes part three of my interview with Ron and John. Remember, there is more to come, so look for that in future shows. For now, there's just a few things I'd like to cover before I wrap this show up. The first thing is, I did get one phone message since the last show, so I'll play that now. Hey, Clay, I just want to congratulate you and really mean, uh, my hats off to you for this, for this latest series on Ron and John. I think it's your best one yet. I think it's just absolutely fascinating. These are a couple of guys that I personally, um, at least if not them as people, as I haven't always known who they were, at least I've always been a fan of their films ever, ever since I was a small kid, being raised on stuff like Little Mermaid and what have you. And I just think it's really great. And I'm... Keep going. And also, I think, you know, one day you're going to have to do your own podcast uh, interviewing yourself or at least maybe having someone else interview you, because I think, you know, you have your foot in this door, too. And I think there's a lot of people out there that at least listen to this show that think, hey, what's Kyle up to every day? You know, he's talking to all these people, but I think he does some pretty cool stuff, too. Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. Anyway, hope to hear about more from you in the future. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Well, thanks a lot for that call. I'm sorry you didn't leave your name, but I appreciate the call. As for an interview with me, I've been speaking with the intro voice, and uh, we'll do that some point in the future, but for now, I think there are so many more people that I would like to interview, but um, in the meantime, I'll try to put a page up on the website that tells a little more about me and what I do in animation, and I'll let you guys know when that's up there. But uh, again, thanks for the call. And if anyone else would like to call, you can always do so with the animation podcast Hotline. That's the phone number you can call and leave a message. If you would like to reach that, it is area code 206-666-2668. And you can always go to the website at www.animationpodcast.com. And on the website, you can find my email where you can write to me. And I do try to respond to every email, even though it might take a little time. Um, I haven't forgot about all the people that have written. So drop me a line and let me know what's going on. And one final thing. There's a little addition to the website. It's a map that um, any listener can go to and add themselves. And so far, I think I have about 80 people on it. And it's great for me because I get to see where my listeners are, but I think it's also great just to see where all the animators are around the world. It's kind of a cool thing. So it's pretty easy to find. Just look on, on the sidebar of the website, and it uh, it's under the map section. So go there, check it out, and uh, put your name on there. You can put your picture, too, and Uh, even a link to your website so people can check you out too. So that's going to wrap it up for show number 9 so until next time, thanks for tuning in